is the essence of like why I do everything, uh, and I think that's that's I think that's my belief. That's kind of what we're all here to f- just remember. You've got to figure it out for yourself, and it really helps to have input from others. But there comes a point in time where. You just know what's right for you, and you just need to then have the courage to back it and give it a crack and see what works. Um, I, that would be the. If I didn't do that, that would be the only regret that I would have is that I didn't live a life on my uh, aligned with what I wanted to do. Before I throw in my job and yeah. move in the state um, to work for a startup, which I hadn't never done before, I thought I'd at least go and meet these guys. Met them, and they were great. But I look to be honest. <laughs> looked around at this kind of warehouse, converted warehouse, and it looked really empty <laughs> and it looked like they're having a bit of fun, but I'm like, oh, this yeah. isn't really, I'm sure you're having a great time and it looks like you're enjoying some good booze, but I don't think this has really got legs and I don't really feel like this is a place for me to be. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Y2 Podcast. Here on the Y2 Podcast, we're all about changing the narrative and rewriting the book about what it takes to be successful for those aspiring to be on and currently traveling the entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial journey. Here on the Y2 Podcast, I find and interview everyday successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and dive into their stories to discover what it takes to actually get started and be successful on their journey. This podcast is meant for anyone and everyone who aspires to do more than they're doing now, but perhaps doesn't know where to start, feels overwhelmed with the prospect of change, or has either been told by somebody else, or maybe themselves, that they just can't do it. This is all about uncovering the real stories by people like you who have taken those first few steps and are well on their way to success in order to help shed light on how you can live that life as well. Now, before I introduce you to today's guests, I want to take a quick minute and thank the Y2 Podcast official sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online learning. I actually love this product so much, I reached out to these guys and wanted to work with them as I see the power of the system for clients. This online training software is very flexible, and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business. For example, you can manage all of your employee training, train customers and partners in your products, track licenses and qualifications of your staff, create and sell online courses, capture more leads with free online courses, and so much more. Jump over to their website, yz.com, that's W-Y-Z-E-D.com, to check out some videos and even get started with your own 14-day trial and let them know I sent you when you head on over. But back to the show, and today's guest is Michael Ellis, head of culture for Vino Mofo, a fast-growing Aussie online wine retailer startup taking both the startup and wine retailing world by storm. Now, this conversation was deeply personal to me, as if you had gone back just a few years, I would have told you how I aspired to work with a fast-paced, innovative, and people-focused company that was redefining what culture was in an organization. That dream, which I would have described, is basically exactly what Mikey has done at VinoMofo. He's been working with the founders over the last three years when he joined at about 40 staff to uh, well over 130 staff they have now across Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and now expanding into the U.S. market. They've been featured in the top 25 greatest places to work 2016 list, received an award for the most successful staff engagement, and have created one of the most sought-after employment brands in Australia, as well as one of the coolest offices that has a massive wine bar. 
However, a quick look at Mikey's history shows that prior to his role starting at VinoMofo just three years ago, he had pretty much no HR experience or HR education that you would think someone would need or at least have to create what he's done now. The funny thing here is that when I started my university career with the idea that if I got my HR degree and plugged away in the corporate HR world for 10 to 15 years, I might finally be in a place to do what he's done. But obviously, that was just the traditional success narrative to talking. And for me, this chat was all about exploring Mikey's journey to get to where he is now and how you can do the same. Now, if you like what you heard so far and you want to hear more stories like Mikey's, please make sure you subscribe to the Y2 Podcast wherever you're listening to this. And it'd be awesome if you can leave a review, especially on iTunes. These stories are meant to educate and inspire you to take meaningful change in your life. And there's plenty of episodes of the Y2 Podcast coming in the future and a secret new project to be released very soon. But you have to make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Make sure you follow the Y2 Podcast over our official website. It's projecty2.com. That's projecty and the number 2.com. Special thanks to Jason Price for editing this episode and providing the Y2 Podcast with a brand new tune. And with that being said, let's get to today's chat. Mikey, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much, mate. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm um, very much looking forward to today's chat. And obviously, uh, for listeners, we're in Vino Mofo's headquarters in Melbourne. Beautiful office. Um, we are obviously being at Vino Mofo. Uh, we have a wine in front of us. <laughs> Just for listeners listening and for your fellow Vinophiles, I think is the correct term. Is that right? Yeah. Mofos. Mofos. What are we, uh, what are we drinking today? Uh, so, it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, so it's, you know, autumn's kicked in, but it's still nice and sunny. It's relatively warm. So we've got a, uh, a Chardonnay. This is Mimi Flamingo. And it's one of the wines that uh, we have made for us. And, and we uh, have designed the label. It's a beautiful wine. looks beautiful, tastes beautiful. So, yeah, we're on the, on the Chardonnay this afternoon. Fantastic. I feel like it is very fitting for a beautiful, a beautiful Melbourne day. Mm. Uh, very refreshing. <laughs> and... Um, for anybody that knows me, knows that I don't know nothing about wine, so I'm just <laughs> making it up as I go. But I'm, I'm really excited to sit, to sit down with you today, and your story actually has a really deep, deep, or resonates quite deeply with myself. As we were discussing earlier, uh, an earlier version of my life is I actually aspired to be exactly where you are today, working in an HR role with uh, a really exciting startup that's kicking goals and you know expanding internationally and extremely well known for just an amazing culture an amazing place to work and that's what I aspired to do and I started my life looking at where I thought I w- with with that in mind and had charted my life and taken roles and responsibilities and done all these things believing that it was going to lead me to to where I need to be now, obviously, my life went a slightly different direction, and, and I'm, I'm happy and I feel blessed for that. But when I first met you uh, and uh, pinning together that you work for Vino Mofo, and they obviously had a brand for an amazing place to work, um, having an, actually an opportunity to, to meet the man who was obviously an integral uh, architect as a part of that with the founders and obviously the other wonderful people. But what I found particularly 
surprising about your story, maybe surprising is a slightly light word, is that when you looked at your background, your foray into just pure HR was uh, actually almost less than mine. And I was completely blown away and shocked and slightly confused and rattled how what I thought I'd had to do, you had actually gone on and proven it, but you had taken a drastically different path. And that, that, that rattled me in, in exactly the right way that I want this podcast and my guests to rattle the way that this, this belief that I had, and as people know at the podcast about rewriting the success narrative, it was from places that weren't necessarily designed to help me get to where I wanted to be, but were trying to sell me something else or bring me on a spire. And so sitting down with you and exploring your story, it's, uh, I wish I could go back uh, and tell young Dustin about it, but I suppose next best thing is reaching out to the other people out there and um, really digging into your story. But in that though, before we talk about what you're doing today and exactly you know the, the the culmination of that. We always need to go back because your your story obviously starts well before Vino Mofo. And in your twenties, uh, in your early twenties, your life looked nothing like it did now. Love if you can just take us away from there. Yeah. Wow. Um, my life certainly didn't look like it does now in my early twenties. And there, but there are some themes. There are some elements uh, that are consistent at that time and now and have been sort of at all times in between as well. I'm not, I'm not an HR expert and I don't do HR here at Vinomofo. Uh, we outsource that to um, a consultant who's far more experienced uh, than I am and far more effective at I am than, than, than doing that sort of work. But what I do have a real interest and a real passion for is uh, people and human behavior and why people do what they do uh, and wine which is kind of handy uh, so, so you know working um for a wine company that that values people uh that also values uh this experience that we're having while we're doing what we're doing and and that's always been a real consistent uh theme for me is that i've got to i can't not do something that i love or that i'm really engaged in or that i care about or that i'm passionate in I've always been a real seeker for that kind of feeling of um, inspiration or, or just joy or just contentment even. Sometimes just being satisfied knowing that you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And so I've never really been attached to what that is or what that looks like because when I have attached to it or expected it to be a certain way, then it's always been disappointing. And so... In you know in my, in my 20s, uh, I went and studied edu- I went and studied uh, English and and philosophy. I've, I finished high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, you know, grew up. Uh, and if I, th- I thought you know it was kind of the thing to do to go to uni and, and study. And I thought if I'm going to spend three or four years studying something, I at least want to enjoy it. Mm. Uh, and I was you know yeah just fascinated by human behaviour. So I studied you know epistemology and metaphysics and. I studied, um, when I started English, it was, you know, English communication. Uh, it, was how we, it was how we communicate. And so it was, it was just fascinating for me. And, you know, I was often asked and I often asked myself, so what are you going to do with this? You know, Bachelor of Arts degrees um, weren't really sort of translating into the kind of jobs that were paying, paying big bucks. But I just, it, at the time, I just didn't care. I just, because I couldn't, I couldn't study something for the, for the mm. sake of, of um, yeah, kind of doing a, doing a job that I didn't want to do in order to 
and some money that I thought might buy me the, the satisfaction and happiness that I was having just by doing what I love doing. So I think that's a pretty common theme mm-hmm. is just for me just to kind of back what I, what I enjoy and kind of go all on, in on that. And then, yeah, letting go of the attachment of how that plays out and what that results in. And interesting because when, you, when I do look back, you can see how all the, you know, how all the pieces of the puzzle join together and how you can connect the dots looking back in hindsight. But yeah, at the time when I was yeah in my twenties, it, it's it, it might look different. I'm doing different things, but the but the desire was still the same, just to just to learn more, always learning. So, what exactly was? Um, how were you finding that satisfaction at the time? What sort of things were you doing? Um, look, to be honest, I was I was pretty. Uh, um, you know, personally, I guess it was I was just as insecure and and probably you know I, I was I was insecure and not particularly happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty self-destructive, and you know a lot of a lot of behaviours. Um, I didn't really like who I was, <laughs> um, and I didn't really want to. I kind of struggled with this: what I thought I should be, and 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 and, and how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this real kind of um, this turmoil of like, oh man, I don't really know who I. And I guess it kind of. I don't don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I feel like I should. So there was this constant. There's always been this constant um, sort of search um, uh, or, or this desire to to to, to find meaning uh, in me. And it's really, I think, been about just calming and and appeasing that. Oh, you know what? Like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? So I, it kind of set me off on this on this path to find out all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned that those answers aren't found through reading books or studying or doing workshops or courses. Most of the answers are found just by coming back to a real sense of um, being at peace with, you know, myself through um, uh, uh, self-awareness and and, and, um, and, and meditation and, and mindfulness. But at the time, uh, yeah, I was, there was a lot, of, a lot of turmoil. I wasn't really happy. But it was just this constant sort of pursuit of finding out why, and I'm not as interested now in 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 wondering why. I'm not sort of happy. I'm just more interested in doing things that make me happy, and I find that it kind of feels like a bit of a shortcut, <laughs> a bit of, a bit of a bit of a cheat, just yeah. to kind of do things because they feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it seems to be working. I suppose at the time, what were you doing to try to find? what it is that really made you happy at the time uh, you know, if you're not feeling that connection between what you're doing and the input what's how are you going to explore that and maybe test hypothesis about what what that actually was and, and seeing the feedback uh so there was you know studying a lot you know in, in my 20s i was always about kind of learning i'd i i traveled um and went to you know went to countries like india and, and nepal and uh, I did, you know, Vipassana meditation, silent retreats for like, you know, 10 days. And I, I pushed my body, you know, to, to the limits. I was pretty heavy into rock climbing and I was into adventure, uh, adventure sports. And I ended up going on and, you know, spending years taking, you know, groups overseas on, on, on expeditions because I was just, yeah, just searching. And so there was an intellectual um, pursuit, which was really about, um, you know that, that sort of was learning and reading and mm-hmm. workshops and talking to people and and searching and finding out through you know uh, talking to other people about their experiences and then there was having some experiences of my own you know there was drinking and drugs and 
you know, all the you know, sort of self-destructive behaviours that you know was root, that were part of that that, that search. Um, yeah, so there was a, I guess there was, there was lots of ways in which I was um, trying to trying to find those answers. Well, interestingly enough, as you were going through a lot of this journey, you were you were working with kids in the outdoors and and taking them overseas, kind of thing. I suppose was that was that starting to satiate a bit of what you what you wanted to do and who you wanted to be? Yeah, definitely. I think you know when I started, uh, so working with working with. With kids in the outdoors was a combination of two things that I really loved. One was being in the outdoors mm-hmm. um, and sort of adventure activities, um, and the other was working with working with kids. I always had um, you know an affinity with you know with kids. I grew up with you know lots of nieces and nephews, and and I always kind of had had this always had this real um, you know this 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 thing that I would perhaps one day I'd like, you know, I'd like to be a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, something that I thought was, was a, you know, if I, if I was going to be anything when I grew up, it'd be, it'd be a teacher. I didn't, just didn't know what I was going to teach. Why you is know? that though? Why do you, why, why do you, why do you think that? I think the reason is because I didn't, I wanted to be the kind of teacher that I didn't have when I was a, mm. when I was a kid. We, you know, I, I look at, and I, you know, then went on to, to, to teach for, for, for a long time, but Growing up in school, I, I just kind of felt like nobody sort of really gets me, and I'm not. Everybody feels that, right? Mm. Every, that's part of the. It's not just being, you know, in primary school, but there's an adolescent kind of angst. It's like oh, I don't understand me. I'm yeah. so different. Everybody's um, like, you know, I'm just such a uh, an anomaly in in the world around me. But I, I certainly felt that, and I came to realise that that was not true. But I didn't feel like I had the um, the, the 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 support or the resources or skills to understand what was going on and, and why that was the case to kind of guide you through that, yeah. that introspective journey, yeah. So you if you will, through that, you know, and you spend twelve. I spent twelve years of my life at an institution where you'd sit down and and <laughs> take out your books and underline yeah. fucking you know lines in a textbook to then regurgitate like yeah. three weeks later in a test, and then that was the measure of. Of, of your value as a learner. Mm. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. The saddest thing about that is it hasn't changed a lot. Um, and it's an absolute tragedy that that is still the fundamental sort of, um, you know, premise of our, of our education system. So, you know, I'm like, this, this is shit. And I don't want, like, that was a pretty ordinary experience for me. Oh, like, I had great, I, I had a great time at school, despite or in spite of the, the, the the construct of the of the um, of the institutions um, that, that I was in, but I wanted to you know if I could do something, and I kind of felt like I probably should get a real job <laughs> and and take some responsibility <laughs> rather than just be sort of angry at the world and self destructive and and um, introspective you know for the rest of my life. I thought, well, why don't you go and do something about that? So that yeah, so that did, so you know to answer your question, like why, why sort of you know education working with kids, it was really to to go to try and go and write some of those wrongs that I mm-hmm. felt and 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 I mm-hmm. and ideally if I could be the kind of um, influence in somebody's life that I wish I had you know as a teacher then that would be a good outcome so you mentioned in the early part in your early 20s you were still really you were still really trying to discover it and still really trying to come back to that introspective sort of um, balance 
of, of who you are and what you're putting out into the world. Was teaching the sort of first foray into, I suppose, finding a bit more of that balance, that ability to sort of give back to to um, to people who are a bit younger, maybe you know somebody who was that age who was in the same position yourself. Were you starting to find a little bit more of that? Um, I don't want to call it the happy place, but you know, mm. sort of a bit more balance, yeah. I guess, in terms of, uh, for lack of a better word, yeah. um, of where you you were where you needed to be, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it was before I started working in like as a teacher in a school that that I felt that I found that uh, I went up to I was living in Brisbane at the time and, and moved up to Cairns to do a to do an outdoor education course. Um, it was a certificate four. It was a, it was a year um, of uh, getting qualifications to mm-hmm. take. To, to guide groups in the outdoors and as it turns out most of the groups that you you know that an outdoor education instructor would guide in the outdoors as school groups and, and school camps so after having done that course which just so happened to be like one of the best years of my life like seriously it was a mid- with a bunch of bunch of friends i think there was like 16 of us in the in the in the course we all converged in cans for this year and uh oh man we would spend one week in the classroom and then we'd spend, you know, doing some theory and then we'd spend the following week out practicing that. So we'd do, you know, sea navigation or ocean navigation in the in the class one week and then we'd go and do a, you know, five-day sea kayaking trip in the Sundays. you know, practicing, you know, Eskimo rolls and packing um, dry bags and stuff. And I'm like, this is, this is awesome. This is like, if this is learning, then I'm, yeah. all, I'm, all, I'm all about it. That's my kind of, kind of, um, kind of education. And... You know, I, I then realised that oh, if I can share what you know, share how this experience makes me feel and what I'm learning mm. through the connection to nature, through what happens when you confront some fears, when you push yourself uh, with you know managed risk uh, physically. Oh man, it's just it was a transformative experience. That's why I sought those experiences, and that's why I loved them so much. And then game therapy for yourself, kind of thing. Yeah, like you were definitely. in that environment. Yeah, where oh you man, I just felt so like in. connected to yeah. you know the 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 world in which I was living. Um, you know, it helps to be doing these sorts of things in some pretty beautiful, you know, some of the most beautiful parts of the world. Um, and I was felt connected to something greater than myself and I felt connected to, to myself too. And so the opportunity to then uh, help kids to learn that or to experience that mm. um, was, a, was just a beautiful opportunity to, to do something that I both loved and I also felt like was going to provide some value, you know, in terms of the experience these, these kids would be having. So it was just a beautiful um, you know, time where I'm like, this is, this feels like that. You just kind of slip into that little kind of zone of like, this is all kind of working out and it feels good. Yeah. It sounds like things are starting at that point in your life, really starting to come together. You've probably gone through some experiences that you were now teaching these kids. You were, you'd realized the value of yourself in terms of being able to put yourself in these scenarios. Um, you know, we spoke before about, you know, trusting oneself and, and negative beliefs that maybe you had when you were a bit younger, but it sounds like kind of at this time you're really starting to come out of that and rewrite that. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I, I was, I was involved in, you know, teaching kids, what I considered to be the most important things. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't how to add and subtract fractions, right? <laughs> it wasn't who the you know first prime minister of Australia yeah. was. And I remember, I, st- I still know, I still remember how to do those things. Uh, but what what we were involved in and what we were teaching kids was to how to uh, how to 
it, it was really self-awareness through putting themselves in mm. situations that challenged them and and facilitating that experience in a way uh, in a way that really help people to know themselves better and to yeah. overcome fears and to and to support each other uh, and to and to plan and to judge risk and to take appropriate risks and to and to push yourself to you know experience things that you um, hadn't experienced before like that I think that's the kind of stuff you know it was, it was teamwork it was all the things that it was that, that come out you know from from those uh, sorts of experiences that I just think are far more important than most of the stuff that I that I'd learned at school that yeah. ended up kind of teaching in school I think that's the stuff that matters so I felt it felt like it was a good thing to be doing yeah, yeah and I yeah I think it's, it's I mean sadly it was like you know not sadly but it's you know, I guess it's it's better than nothing. But it was you know a week in a week out of a a, a year's worth of education. Yeah. Um, but it was it was valuable stuff, I reckon. Well, I thought one thing you said that really resonated well with me during that is the difference of being able to talk about it. Because I'm sure you could have stood up in front of these kids and talked about you know pushing yourself physically and, and teamwork and all those sorts of things. But something I've come to truly appreciate in my life is that there's a difference between intellectually knowing and knowing in your heart and in your gut and trusting it. Um, and when you put yourself in those scenarios and you actually can test your own assumptions, not because you want to, but because you're forced to, mm. it's pretty incredible how it rewrites. And mm. Michael Back tells a really great story about he was, um, I can't remember where he was, but they were basically um, uh, boarding down these dunes and he was extremely reluctant to do it. And, you know, because you're going to fall face first and this is hot sand in your face and it's just going to be a disaster. Mm. And so in his head, he'd worked up this, a horrible experience it was going to be but then sure enough i think through the 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 beautiful thing that is peer pressure he finally went did it and he did fall face first and he actually explains it as actually a, a tremendous sensation it was almost like falling into a, a warm blanket or something mm. like that he said but the difference of you might know it intellectually but do you actually know it in mm. your heart and your gut and mm. your feeling and i think that's where you need to get out there and do it. And that's mm. a recurring theme of the podcast that it's, there's only so much planning you can do. Eventually you're going to go, you're going to fuck up, but that's okay. If yeah. you have the right mindset around it, um, it's pretty incredible how you can use that opportunity to grow and, um, and actually really, you know, infuse that into your DNA and your hardwiring in your brain. Mm. Yeah. That's always been a, a primary value of mine is, is a lived experience, mm. you know, and I, I, I like learning, but I, you know, through reading or, or, or listening to others, you know, I recount their, their uh, lived experience. But for me, it's always been, I just got to know, I got to go and I, I got to find out for myself. Mm. And so that's, yeah, that lived experience to me is, is of primary value. And so it has really shaped, you know, the things I've done as a, re, you know, as a result. Yeah. So funny enough, in that you um, going back into your story, you you taught these kids. You went back to school to become a teacher to create a bit of um, how do you describe a bit of bit of sort of foundation, a bit of consistency. Is that- yeah. Uh, well, no. Yeah, yeah, for myself. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Like I, you know, spent a few years as an outdoor education instructor, and you would typically spend a week out in the bush and then you'd come home for the weekend, wash all your clothes, you know, hang your tent out to dry and air your sleeping bag out and then you'd be then you'd meet another group the following week to go out and do, do the same thing. So, you know, I was 26, 25, 26 at that time and felt like, you know, there's a, a there's a, you know, there's a, I can't do that, you know, forever. And so, yeah, I went on to then 
go back and do a, uh, an education degree and with the view to yeah pursuing and going a little bit deeper with the work you know with um with, with, with kids and so again it was a great a great combination of things I love which was learning I mm-hmm. actually really enjoy going to to study particularly when it's things that I love um and I had some great mentors and great teachers when I went back and did that and it just reinforced the value of having somebody who sees you uh enough to kind of bring out or at least remind you or ignite that something in you that has just kind of been dormant for a long time and I've had that experience of having great mentors and teachers who have seen that in me and gone I see you I know mm-hmm. you you need to go and do that you need to bring out more of that you need to share more of that in the world and that like when that happened to me I'm like fuck this is wow that makes me feel amazing so the opportunity to then do that uh, or perhaps be that person in, in in someone else's life was um was really exciting I suppose as you looked from where you were into teaching as sort of a, 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 the next evolution of, I suppose, what you're doing, was there a master or grand plan in terms of that teaching and then that'll lead to this and then you'll continue to realize, you know, greater impacts or, or something around teaching and mentoring? I mean, was there a, a grand plan that things were starting to come no, into play at that time? No, I've, I've sort of learned that I'm not a grand plan kind of guy. Were you grand uh, planning back then? Though? I was trying, yeah. yeah. So you were trying to sort of envision what the future's being yeah. and goals? And- yeah, it definitely seemed like, it seemed like a really smart thing to do and a really wise thing to do and a really, you know, it seemed like uh, it's a good job and it's consistent and it's, you know, decent pay and, you know, so it, it made sort of rational sense. And I've never really been, I've never really done things with, you know, from a rational, sensible point of view. I've just done them because I feel like doing them. (laughs) But at the time, I'm like, yeah, this would be, this is a good time to sort of get a real job, settle down and do, you know, and do what grown-ups do. Mm. Uh, So that wasn't the reason why I went back and became a teacher. But it certainly helped to sort of kind of satisfy that that, uh, desire to, to, to you know to, to, to be a grown up um, but no it certainly wasn't the reason why I did it and uh, I'm not a five year plan kind of person and I've learned that that just doesn't work for me either well it's it, it, I feel a real kinship to what you mentioned there I feel like I was very much going through the same journey I've always been incredibly fascinated about why people do what they do and using that as an introspection into sort of helping me understand mm. my own life to a sense but in that and as many people know about the podcast i began to voraciously consume all this content to go what do other people seem to have figured out let me let me figure out what they do and then looking at somebody who's got it figured out quote unquote um figured out and going okay well they're telling me i need to do this so let me give that a shot and then applying that in my life and i sat with and i and i still think i i I think i still do to this point in my life i'd be lying if i said i was completely over this but going I have to trust their process. I'm, I might feel that it's off or it doesn't work, and I will talk more about goal setting in a moment, but I swear I've done a million different versions of goal setting, and I feel like I've gotten closer. But forcing myself into the process because it just seems right versus it feels right. So I suppose for yourself, how you know you've, you've talked a little bit about that journey of you're, you're not really a goal setter but how are you sort of rectifying this balance between being a voracious learner and and wanting to consume all this content and the answers but yet still feeling at odds with what they were telling you or, or what you you know what the conventional wisdom was you know was that you're being given yeah i can really relate to that you know which you were saying about um 
just trying it all on and, and really feeling like, you know, if I just try, you know, if I just read this book and find that approach, then that'll probably be the, you know, the, the answer I'm looking for the, or the key or the, or the secret to success. <laughs> Uh, be that last thing once you figure this out yeah. it'll all be down yeah and I've all, but I've learned, I kind of love that pursuit too like I know but but I've let go of it needing to have an outcome mm. I love the pursuit for the pursuit I love the 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 the, the, the search um, or the the exploration for the sake of the exploration uh, for me the the key and I don't tell anybody what they should do because it doesn't I just don't think we can translate that or, or understand or know anybody well enough. I think there are some, um, yeah. I think there are some archetypes, mm-hmm. and there are some, there are some certainly some um, patterns of human behaviour that we can relate to that are universal. But how that plays out is completely different for everybody. So, and then I, I kind of learned that, and I've kind of just gone. Well, I've, I've applied that to my life, right? And gone. It's funny. There was a time when I was teach when I was teaching. I was talking to these kids, and they were twelve years old, and like. You know, all you've got to do, but in like life is really. I was kind of like the. I was a bit like. I was a bit of a disruptive sort of anti teacher. <laughs> I'm like, so we're going to sit down and we're going to learn these things, and then you, you we'll do we'll do a test at some stage. But let's just kind of talk about you know what we really what life's kind of all you know really about. Mm. And I remember just while I don't know I, there was one situation, one circumstance. I forget the context, but talking to a, a, a small group of um, kids about. I was on this bit of a rant, going, you know what. That's <laughs> probably why I don't know where they went home and told their parents, but um, they probably went home and said, "Mr. Ellis told us school doesn't really matter. You just kind of do the things you love." And I was, I was saying to them, like, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to understand this now as a 12 year old, but what you're doing and what you're really striving for and what matters to you now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean shit. Like in six minutes, let alone six years. Yeah. So just have fun and just be cool with like who you are and doing what you do. And if and and if you don't want to like do what your friends are doing, then that's okay too. And I was listening to me. I was kind of aware of myself saying this to, to these kids, and I was sort of like, oh, fuck, I, what a hypocrite! Like, you know, there was things that I was that were I was doing that were contrary to you know what I really thought and what I really believed and what I really felt. And so it was a good re- you know reminder to actually practice what you preach and walk the talk. Um, but the point being that. Uh, you got to fi- I don't know you got to figure it out for yourself and it, it really helps to have input from others but there comes a point in time where I think you just know what's right for you and you just need to then have the courage to back it and give it a crack and see what works um, I, that would be the if I didn't do that that would be the only regret that I would have is that I didn't live a life on my uh, aligned with what I wanted to do as opposed to, and it sounds it sounds selfish when you put when I, when I say it when you put it like that but I really don't think it is I think what's selfish is trying to please other people um, for the you know for the payoff that they that that might have I think what's 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 responsible is knowing what you hmm. um, value and what you're good at and going all in on that because I you know so long as you're not a, an asshole and you're doing it at other people's expense. And I think it's actually got to be um, of value for everyone else. It's going to be better for everyone else. I think anybody that knows me or anybody that I know that I love, that's all you want for them is just to kind of be happy doing what they love doing. And so um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, for me, has, that's become the, you know, the, the, the fun part is figuring out what that is. And then, yeah, having the courage to do it. 
Were you ever worried at any one point, and I know you mentioned you've come to detach from an outcome, but were you ever worried that when you were going through some of these things that you might roll into your 50s or 60s and all of a sudden just be filled with regret? Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have listened to yourself. Maybe you should have done what they said because they, you know, they... Yep. At third party, whoever else is giving you advice, but maybe rolling into your 60s and going, shit, maybe they were right. Um, I messed up. I mean, did you ever have yep. those thoughts? Totally. Absolutely. I still do. But let, but I'm less influenced by them now. The, you know, through, you know, kind of going through, you know, having some, having a few years uh, under my belt, having practiced that. I mean, I don't have... I don't have a lot of things that I wanted to have uh, when I was younger. And Maybe I look, by that, what, what things? Oh, look, I never really went all in on financial mm. kind of, uh, you know, mm. pursuing money. And I spent all my money on travel and experiences and old bloody combi vans that cost more, <laughs> cost more money than than. You know, I could have bought a number of properties with the amount of money I poured into um, cars and travel and experiences and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I look at the time. I thought, no, that's irresponsible of me. I should be saving, or I should be planning, or I should be, you know, doing things that other people are doing. And that was a, certainly a, you know, a real source of, you know, kind of turmoil or, or tension or, or, or confusion at least. But I don't know. There, there's still this thing in, in me that I can't just do that for the because I think it's the right thing to because I think it's what I should do. Mm. I, I tried. I really tried, but it just doesn't work for me. And so, you know, the older I get, I look back and I'm so gra- I'm so glad I didn't because a lot of people that I know that did that are just fucking miserable. Mm. And they're, you know, they have this you know they're having this kind of midlife crisis where I'm like oh man all these things that I thought were important to me just aren't and 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 I wish I hadn't spent the last 15 20 years of my life just going all in on on, on that and I'm like I kind of you know I kind of feel like I'm uh I, I dodged a bullet there because I I look like I look back I'm I'm pretty stoked with what I've done and what I have learned and what I've experienced because they're the things I value the mm. things that I learning and experiences and um, you know everything that comes with it are the stuff I value not not other um, means of measuring success so I'm pretty happy with with that but yeah it's definitely it's something that I'm constantly kind of oh maybe I should oh but no don't <laughs> <laughs> so in that looking at your your journey eventually you being a teacher. Uh, and, and I very much picture you as like a Robin Williams type, the Goodwill uh, Hunting on the on the, on the yeah, table and yeah, captain, my captain. Yeah. That was like you know, the, it's it's. I was definitely influenced by great, you know, not just you know people like you know movies and 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 this sort of this you know hero celebrated kind of teacher, but I, I had great I had great teachers at times. I'm curious as well, you know, if I think about your story so far and we hear this journey about you wanted to to take all this stuff that you learned um and, and obviously creating a bit of a lifestyle and, and having a bit of stability or whatever it might be and becoming a teacher that that can provide you a side um do you think you would have gone back knowing what you know now and maybe not have become a teacher you would have maybe done a different profession that you think might have helped you achieve what you were trying to achieve in a more pure form where you don't have to worry about that by the way kids here's the multiple choice test just quickly do it because let's get to the good stuff after uh i worked in a pretty conservative school i worked in a private school um if i was to do it differently i'd probably go to a different 
school and work with kids that didn't have the same sort of mm. privileges and opportunities that the kids I was working with did. Um, that was probably a safe option for me. Yeah. And it was, you know... Yeah, so if I was to go back, I'd go and work with kids that really needed um, the kind of influence that I... Um, you know that, that that I was hoping to have. Mm. I think there were kids that probably needed that more than the kids that I was working with. They were, they were fine. They were always. They were, I think they were always going to be okay. Um, <laughs> not that I was there to save anyone, but yeah. I, I think they were. Yeah. If you know, if I was to do it again, I'd probably go back and and work in an, a region or a, or an area or a, or a place or a you know um, environment where kids really wanted to. Um, to learn, but just didn't have the have the opportunity uh, or, or the or the resources. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Now, after you left teaching, you went on to essentially go it alone, if you will, didn't you? You started a business. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd be a life coach. <laughs> well, welcome to. I mean, why life. did you want to become a life coach? Uh, what, I mean, you, you you go because you want to teach these kids these things. Yeah, it, it was an ever. I, I don't know. I just got bored, sort of yeah. teaching, to be honest. And it was an evolution of what I was doing. So I had a real. I had a real interest in boys' education because it was just, again, you know, me just thinking about what is it that I needed. And I could see how, um, from my experience, I saw how, you know, boys and girls learnt differently. And I saw, um, you know, I I just, I try to stick to what I I know. um, And I knew what it felt, I knew what it was sort of like to be a, a boy growing up with all the issues and, 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 um, oh man, all the influences and all the pressures of, um, of gender and stereotypes and constructs of masculinity and it's like fuck it's just it's really it, it, it's it's really unhealthy um and so i had this real interest in in helping boys navigate their their sort of path through adolescence and um that was coupled with a lot of work that i was doing as a man uh i was doing a lot of I was getting involved with men's groups and participating in those and, and teaching some workshops and, and, yeah, really just kind of exploring what it means to be a, a man in, in, in our current current society. And so the work... And I just, again, like, you know, I'd been teaching for seven years and I wanted to kind of learn something different, I wanted to learn mm. something more. And it was really just kind of going, what is it that I love about teaching? And it wasn't subjects. It wasn't yeah. English or maths or science or history. It was about human behavior that's what i was fascinated by so i went i didn't want to go and study psychology because i felt it was too i was you know i felt it was too i mean it's another fucking four years or whatever and i didn't <laughs> want to be a psychologist right i yeah. just wanted to i just wanted to learn more about human behavior and so there was a there was some great there was some good coaching um coaching life coaching uh courses that were being offered so i went and did a diploma in coaching and really it wasn't it wasn't to become a life coach is really just to learn more about human behavior mm. and as it turned out it sort of then uh evolved into me working more with parents you know as in my role as a teacher i was year level coordinator and so i was working a lot with parents who were having difficulties or challenges uh, challenges with their kids uh and i felt like i had this real affinity with you know parents of, of boys and because i felt like i understood um you know um I understood what they were going through. The, the understood what the boys were going right. through, and translating that. And to I the felt parents. like I could help parents to sort of see, you know, see things, at least from my perspective, because mm-hmm. how kids are in a classroom is very different to how they are at, at home. Um, and so I just saw stuff, you know, and I wanted to kind of help. And so I ended up working with parents a fair bit outside of school, helping them 
um, with their with their with their boys. And so this, yeah, and just so happened at the same time, I was doing this coaching course, and I, yeah, I don't know, I just fancied this lifestyle of just travelling around the world and just talking to people and helping them out with their issues and stuff, <laughs> and just being, you know, free to do that. And that was that was that was the ideal. Um, and so that was kind of yeah. I thought, well, if I'm you know if I'm gonna do that, I'm always, I I needed kind of I need to quit my mm-hmm. teach. I need to quit teaching. I don't you know I could see where that trajectory was heading anyway. I was into administration and sort of deputy principal roles, and I didn't want to do that. So I thought, no, I'll go and travel the world, be a be a life coach and earn shit tons of money, just you know <laughs> helping people and being being fucking awesome at doing that. And that was the plan. Um, didn't quite turn out that way because it's just a, that's a crock of shit. Um, but I really did enjoy working with. I, I enjoyed that sort of new experience of working with adults um, as opposed to kids and I felt like there's a real opportunity to influence um, something uh, influence things on a on a bigger scale than just working with, with kids so, what do you um, mean by that? Like, what, what? Uh, so you've got you know I saw, kid, I saw kids in the classroom as being a real product of their uh, of their environment mm. which they were growing up you know of course everyone's got their own kind of unique personality and, and, and character traits but so much of how that is how that evolves is shaped by the by the environment which they grow up in and of course your primary caregivers mm. in most cases it's your parents um, for, for kids are the ones who have the biggest influence on you growing up and so not only that but adults have influence on each other in relationships whether you know on our on our personal relationships, we have influence on the people that we work with. We have influence on the decisions that we make that um, have an impact on, on on our customers if we run businesses or, or, or on our people that we work with if we're service providers. And so, I don't know. I kind of thought that if you know, you could if I could help somebody uh, help an adult understand more about themselves and why they do what they do and be less aggressive or less um, defensive or whatever then the impact that that might have on the world around them would be more significant than you know teaching a 12 year old how to how to manage their their emotions immediately you know so that yeah. was just an interesting kind of evolution i think so how did you go when you first started your business obviously go going from teaching uh teaching kids in terms of you know the wilderness and taking them on retreats mm. and then going into uh you know to the adolescent children and, and teaching them different different subjects into consulting how did you find that transition? What was it like all of a sudden dealing with adults where you'd spent the last 20 or so years before that, ballpark, plus or minus, um, not dealing with adults? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Because I'm, you know, it's not that, that, I, that I was exclusively dealing with kids. Like, you know, I'm an, I'm an adult and I had adult relationships and adult friendships and worked, lived and worked, you know, in, in the world of adults. So I kind of, yeah, it certainly wasn't unfamiliar to me. Um, and it's interesting how how much we are and it just helped me remember and realize that we're all fuck we're all just we're all very similar mm. we have fundamental needs yeah. whether we're an eight-year-old or a 38-year-old it's the we same sti- sort of behavior we still want to we want to feel loved we want to yeah. feel significant we want to feel validated we want to feel like we belong we want to feel you know and we'll we have the same fears mm. we have the same fears where you know fear of not being loved fear of not being enough 
these are all the, they, they, they're fundamental. Like, I, I just think there's a consistency in, in those issues. So whether it's an adult or a kid, they're still the same. They just play out differently. But um, I, did, I, you know, I, I started doing workshops in schools um, for, you know, for, for kids, and I started doing parent, you know, workshops with parents. And yeah, I, then I started working, you know, one on one with with adults. And um, yeah, I loved it. It was new, and it was it was it was really it was really fun. I I, I really enjoyed it. But I was shit at biz. I, I mean, like I, I was shit at business. Like I. Yeah, I wasn't very good at all the other stuff that came with it. Like, so what other what other stuff? Oh, was? like finding clients yeah. and marketing yourself, and you know, putting yourself out there. I really had a, an aversion to that. I didn't. I, I did it, but it, oh, I felt really, felt really dirty. I just don't want to be that wanker who's just, you know, is online just banging on about how I can help you change your life. I think that's bullshit, and I don't like it. And I sort of ha- felt like a sort of had to do that and I did it and I look back and I was cringeworthy but so I wasn't good at running a business which is essentially what you know I did I quit yeah. teaching and I was going to be you know personal development coach and um, so you got to get clients yeah and just was just I don't know it was a there was, was a disconnect between the work I was doing and how I'd you know what I need to do in order to get clients. Well, I think I think that's really important, and that that is something I know about your story that I really do love. That and I've I've run across a lot of people who go, "Gee, I, I really like doing X occupation, county HR, whatever it might be." And there's this sort of idea that if they can go run their own business, they can just do more of that. But my experience with working with a lot of these professionals in my previous professional roles, you realize that their craft and what they do is actually a shockingly small amount of what they do day to day. And that skill set, which makes you really, really good at whatever profession your, your services are based, does not translate well into acquiring the clients and actually applying that. And I've certainly met some horrendous professionals in, in across industries and you go, wow, like I really don't think you know what you know, but they're really good at other aspects of the business and that's unfortunately what wins. Yep. But in that though, you eventually met the, the guys obviously at Vino Mofo. I'd love if you can just kind of quickly tell us a little bit about how that came about because it's quite a, quite a good story in there. Quite a quite a uh, uh, unexpected story, I guess, in terms of how that relationship developed in your... Yeah, how we, how we met. We met yeah. on <laughs> we met online, which is weird, but it's true. This is well back in 2010. It was, well, it was before Tinder, right? So yeah. we're, it was. I was a teacher, but I always had, um, and I was coaching, but I always had a real love of wine. I was, fa- I was just fascinated by wine. It really captured my <laughs> imagination, mm. and you know, there was a real. There's a number of reasons for that. And there's a there's a real connection with with my dad. He taught me a lot about wine, and there's we really. I don't know. I felt like we really connected through through wine so it became so much more than just a drink uh for me and i've always been into lots of things i've always i've never really had a single single focus on anything in particular i don't focus on any one thing particularly well so i've always got lots of things going on so whilst i was teaching i was interested in wine and traveling and all sorts of other things but wine yeah it sort of became something i wanted to learn more about and so i taught myself and the about it and the, and the way in which i did that was just to go and visit wineries and get online and and research and and, and twitter was a great forum for connecting with a lot of other wine lovers mm-hmm. and wine makers which was really cool because if i drank a bottle of wine that i loved i'm like i could look up the winemaker or you know someone involved in in that sort of process and and if they're on twitter we you know it's you had this direct access mm-hmm. to people which, which i loved um and so i was on on twitter and um yeah just kind of thought I, I might just make up a name for myself as you do on, on Twitter and, and it was and I'm like, I'm, you know it was it was wine related mm. 
And so um, I called myself the wine punter. You know, hey, you know, people talk about like you just uh, yeah. you know, there's, there's like experts and there's punters. Yeah. I, just, I was just a punter, right? Yeah. Just a punter. So I was a wine punter, and uh, yeah, so I just was yeah communicating with, with people and learning stuff and sharing stuff and writing you know little tasting notes about the wines that I would drink was drinking and and yeah, really enjoyed that and some really great like friendships. Some of my best mates now <laughs> uh, I met in the, you know th- from doing that, yeah. and there's a there's a few good mates. Um, who had, you know, who one, one, one of them, it was his birthday yesterday. Uh, and uh, we, we're, we're, we catch up regularly. And we took this sort of connection that we had on, on you know, through Twitter about, you know, talking about wine offline. And we, and we, and we thought, let's, let's hang out and drink some wine together. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what we did. And it sort of evolved into lots of other different things. I was kind of hosting workshops and stuff. But I, at, the, at that time, uh, the Quaff Boys, who... Uh, Justin and Andre, the, the, the co-founders and, and uh, CEOs of, of Vino Mofo. Before Vino Mofo, they had mm-hmm. a online wine community called um, called Quaff, and they were the Quaff Boys, and they did lots of cool stuff uh, around wine. And so, on Twitter, they were hosting events and travelling around the country in a combi, drinking wine, meeting cool winemakers, and like, fuck, you guys are all, you guys, you got a pretty sweet little gig going on here and i um yeah so we just kind of you know we hung out on 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 twitter i guess uh, and just you know exchanged a few a few you know thoughts here and there as you do and 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 that was sort of how it began there was a there was a there was a tweet they there was a tweet up I'm not sure if they still have tweet ups now. It's definitely like a 2010 kind of thing. Um, but they had this, they hosted this tweet up, and what they did was they put a call out and said, "Hey, we're doing this semi-on tasting, and if you want to get involved, just let us know." I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'll get involved." And so they sent me a six pack of um, semi-on, hmm. and I'm like, it's "Not I, a bad deal." I remember going. I remember rocking up at home, um, and there was. A six pack of semi on on my front doorstep. I'm like, fucking, this is this is <laughs> awesome. We got like free wine, yeah. uh, and all I needed to do was at this particular time get online, taste some wine, write some comments, and and uh, and share share some thoughts. And that was sort of how how that kind of I don't know. That was it's it's how we sort of really got to work with each other. Although it was I was just some um, some punter up in in Brisbane just stoked about getting some free wine <laughs> but i had fun with it you know and i ended up um writing a pretty uh actually ended up writing a song and 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 literally singing a song and as part of this kind of challenge to write an interesting tasting note i had a lot of fun with that that particular um event and uh yeah it just turned out to be um a nice kind of connection that that, that we had with you know it was really just about this love of you know, the shared love of wine, and that was um, yeah, that was that was pre vino mofo, and then and then it sort of just evolved in different stages from there. Well, when they first came, when I know you're doing a bit of consulting with them, when they first pitched the idea of you coming on board with them, do you remember what your initial thoughts were? Because I mean, before that, you'd you'd done teaching, and all of a sudden, you'd done you know work started working with adults around that, but then to go into an HR style role and help build this culture. Yeah. What were your sort of initial? Do you remember? Uh, there, there was a few. There was a few other sort of times where they, where we almost worked together. Uh, the, the first. So when, when Vino Mofo, after the sort of quaff evolved into into Vino Mofo, um, 
the the guy uh, the, the guy said to me, look, we'd love for you to write some tasting notes for the wines that we're that we're selling on Vino Mofo, and uh, I was really happy to do that because it meant I could stay teaching, mm-hmm. and they would send me the wines, I'd taste them, write some copy, and just post that on the site. And that was a really cool thing to do. So I was teaching during the day and writing wine about wine at night and stuff. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it and loved it. And that happened for about a year. And so that that was kind of the first time I, you know, officially worked, you know, with Vino Mofo, albeit uh, remotely. Towards the end of that time, they said, look, why don't you come and work for us? Because, you know, come down to Adelaide and, and, and work with us because... You know it, that, that that could be a really cool thing, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that would be that would be really cool, actually. Um, so I flew down to Adelaide and met the guys, and I hadn't actually met them in person before. Incredibly, and, yeah. This whole relationship developed with somebody, and then to actually shake their hand and be, be breathing the same air. Yeah, totally. What a world to it be. It was really cool. So I thought, well, if I'm gonna yeah. before I throw my job and yeah. move in state um, to work for a startup, which I hadn't never done before, I thought I'd at least go and meet these guys met them and they were great but I looked to be honest I looked around at this kind of warehouse converted warehouse and it looked really empty <laughs> and looked like they're having a bit of fun but I'm like oh this yeah. isn't really I'm sure you're having a great time and it looks like you're enjoying some good booze but I don't think this has really got legs and I don't really feel like this is a place for me to be and um just didn't feel like it was you know it just, just didn't feel right mm. it, it was like a good idea but it just didn't feel right and so I said, look, thanks for the offer and the opportunity, but uh, it's just not for me. I was a bit underwhelmed by the whole sort of experience, uh, and I thought that's just uh, not for me. So I said thanks, but no thanks. And, um, yeah, and then moved back to Brisbane and, and you know, continued teaching for a bit and then did the whole coaching thing. And it was when I was doing the coaching thing that uh, I thought, hey, you know what, I reckon I could help you guys out a little bit here by, you know, I'd learnt to do this, you know, the whole behavioural profiling thing and, you know, I was feeling pretty confident about my ability to um, to sort of uh, implement that. And so I said, why don't I come and do this with you guys? Because, I, I, you know, I like how you work, um, but I reckon, you know, there's I reckon there's some value here for you. So I, I flew down to Melbourne and I did, yeah, I spent a day with Justin and Andre and, and Chris, who was the general manager at the time, and did this, you know, sort of unpack this 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 profiling tool with them and and it was really it was a great experience um you know they i'm sure they learned um a lot and it felt like a really good thing you know to to do and by this stage this was a couple of years after in fact it was probably about three years after i first visited them down in adelaide and felt like this is not really taking off three years later (laughs) you know they'd moved to melbourne we're in a pretty funky little um space on on bridge road and i'd spent the day kind of working with the guys and then at the end of the day i you know we we're sitting on the couch drinking some really nice chardonnay i looked around there's a team of like 25 30 people just knocking off on a friday and just drinking wine and tunes were cranking and there was you know cheese platters and it just looked like a really cool place to work and i'm like oh man this is really this is really cool and i, I remember talking to justin on the couch at the time he said so what are you doing <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? What are you doing? He said, what are you doing you know, with your work? And I was sucking as a coach. I'd been doing that, you know, for about 18 months, not really earning much money. I was doing a good job. I think mm. what I was, the work I was, I was really good at, but as a business, it was, I was hopeless. And I said, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty, I'm enjoying this kind of work that I'm doing and I'd be keen to, um, they said, well, why don't you come and, you know, 
would you consider coming working for us? And I thought, well, I'd sort of considered that previously. It wasn't the right time, but it just felt right. Um, it just felt like a good time to, to, to do that. And I said, yeah, I'd, I reckon I, I, could, I, I might like that, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that was a Friday. Flew back to Brisbane that night or something the next day. And then on Monday we had a conversation and he said, um, cool, why don't, you know, why don't you come down and work for us full time? So I, I, a couple of weeks later I packed up my car and drove down to Melbourne and, and then started work at Vinomofo in a full-time capacity with, uh, without any real job description or, or um, kind of remit. It was just, it, you know, it was really just a case of we know you, we like you, mm. we value what you do, you're, you know, you're a good fit in terms of, you know, the kind of people that we like to have working for us. And that was exactly how I felt as well. Yeah. So it was a nice alignment and, and I reckon, you know, it was like, well, let's just see if we can do some cool shit together. And then fast forward your, uh, I mean, how did you, as you started to get into the world, no job description, yeah. and how did you sort of start to find yourself on the path you're on and I guess what I'm really trying to ask is how did you how did you exactly figure out what you were doing with no sort of <laughs> HR background or HR experience all of a sudden you're dealing with people in a in a, in a, a corporate business environment and recruiting and you know position all these different elements that make up sort of the HR yeah. function how did you start to navigate your way through that well I wasn't employed as an, in an HR role no. I was employed as a con, you know creating content which was writing. Oh, okay. Which so was, it was a content role first. Yeah, then, content oh, okay. role, but also obviously with a with a view, you know, with, with an awareness that I, you know, can understand. You know, I'm pretty decent understanding of people. Yeah. Um, so I was employed in a content role, and but I soon came to like through my experience of that whole recruitment and, for want of a you know better word, onboarding mm-hmm. experience because there wasn't really one. It was like cool, rock up at um, rock up. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you on Monday. It's like. Yeah. Cool. What's the address of the yeah. place again? It's like, um, who will be there? And because I'm kind of like, I kind of like a, a few details. Uh, my onboarding experience was pretty shit. It really was <laughs> yeah. ordinary, and it was like, fuck. Okay. Um, so when, when I when I started in the role, I started looking around, going, um, we uh, we now as you know, me being a part of this company, probably need to do things uh, a little bit differently mm. it, because there was. There wasn't an HR person. Um, and it's a startup, right? Yeah. This was like four years into it, but still very much a like, let's just just get busy getting shit done because we haven't got time to, you know, um, worry about much else. Yeah, so it was, it was still really, it was a super, yeah. super fast growth period. And everyone was just kind of just getting hammered doing what they were, you know, just like just hectic busy and yeah. we're loving it but I was thinking oh okay so I'm happy to be busy but I was thinking maybe if we had some processes around um, onboarding or if when we recruit someone that we have a bit of a, a bit more of a sort of rigorous screening interview process and when someone arrived maybe we should have their desk ready for them that you know not one that they had to build themselves and, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it, here's the Ikea box um, it was, yeah it was definitely like that and I think there's value in that yeah. at, at different stages but the company now is you know, four years in and, and was, you know, 30, 40 people. And I felt like it was, it was my experience at least that we could be doing things a lot better to actually look after the experience or, 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 um, kind of construct, help sort of construct the experience people were having in order for them just to feel safe and get on uh, and, and do their job. 
you know, safe and, and, and this whole sense – because, I'm you know, I, I spend enough time working with people to know that there's, these fundamental human needs are, are kind of what provides a foundation for doing great work. And we're asking, you know, people to, to challenge themselves and take risks and be extraordinary and innovate and create. But, you know, I felt like there was, there was a few things that we needed to kind of bed down first. Um, and that's – and that sort of just evolved into me taking on some more of those responsibilities. Um, and it, yeah, just really evolved from there. And it was through identifying a need and then figuring out how to meet that need or to make it happen. There was no, there was no, there, there was no one in that, in that HR or people in culture role previously. You know, I think I, the thing I, I really love and I really appreciate about your story, and I think the big lesson I've got of, out of speaking with you today and obviously beforehand and what you've mentioned is, and this is, this is more coming from a place of, of me looking at what did I, what could I have done different? If I could go back and give Dustin some young advice, um, what would it be? And I think where my degree, in, and it's wholly my experience of going through the education and sitting with it, it was very process-focused. Whereas you've talked about, and I know I want to talk more about, you were very outcome-focused, right? So you were looking at the, the fundamental. And when I mean outcome, I mean you were looking at the needs of you know feeling belonging and how do we create safe environment. And you were then reverse-engineering the process in terms of how can we then build that, how can we create that to create that feeling within, within the people, you know, get to those needs of, of belonging. Whereas I look at my degree, and it was the other way around, I was looking at, okay, there's the problem. Let me just try to pull these different processes out of the box, mm. i.e. I've learned out of a textbook and yep. you know got a pretty good grade on it, so therefore I, I know it. Yep. Um, and trying to do that, whereas you were, I think, finding it so much more organically through both that present state awareness of just having a, a good understanding through the evolution of working with people and going, you know, here's a few fundamental elements. How can we start to build these processes in order to satisfy um, these needs? And thus, everything is sort of is born out of it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, and we and I pulled all the all the you know um, tricks off the shelf and the processes off the shelf and the um, textbooks and, and applied them all but they some worked and some didn't mm. some worked you know at, at different times um, so it wasn't a, because this is a company that is run by two you know really smart very visionary um, entrepreneurs who weren't just creating a business but they wanted to create something that um, you know people connected to and you know believed in and it's a you know it's a, it definitely is a is a purpose driven mission driven company and so you know trying to create something that didn't exist before you can't do what has been done before or you can't apply a model that worked elsewhere uh, and expect it to work in the same way and so whilst you know, whilst I drew a, and learnt a lot, and I outsourced a lot, asked for a lot of help, got a lot of input, and 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 and, and learned as much as I could. Uh, what it, ultimately, you know, we had to kind of figure out what worked for us as a company, and what worked for us as a company then didn't work in the same way twelve months later, and isn't working now. So we've mm-hmm. got to refine that or evolve that um, in order for it to, you know, to to meet those needs now. So. You know, there's definitely. I think it's so important to know, to have some real um, understanding of of process and best practice and what works, why, and, and 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 how. But to have the flexibility to know when to when to you know deploy that 
that was that was a that was a good learning and just fucking learning uh, learning and getting it wrong and f- figuring it out and 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 sometimes having some wins but also but this never this kind of relentless um sort of reflection on what's working and what's not and, and why not because nothing in this company works um according to a according to you know a, 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 a model or, yeah. or a process i mean there's fun like obviously there's fundamental um models business models and and, and processes but you know what we're trying to do is something that you know, we're trying to be better than what we were yesterday, and we're trying to do something now that hasn't been done before, and and so you've got to you've got to figure it out and fuck it up and and fix it as you go. Yeah, I mean, if I can just on that point, um, I, mean, I love that. I absolutely love that. That thinking that has brought us to this point from a business perspective, especially in, in this context, isn't necessarily the thinking that's going to get us further. And as I say, business context, I mean, actually any context, even with myself as well, personally. But uh, Didier Elzinga, I watched a presentation of his, and actually, ironically enough, this is actually the reason why I came to watch a presentation of theirs um, in this office the first time I stepped foot. But he, he had something he said the other day that really resonated with me. And it was something to the effect, basically, that if you're trying to when you're building something great, something really different, nobody really cares unless it works, right? And I think this is kind of the idea behind Moneyball, a great movie that, you know, if you try something different, you look, you look, you look crazy, you look like an outsider until all of a sudden it works. But when it works, it rewrites how everybody else does it. Mm. And that's kind of, I think, to a certain extent, the ethos of what Vino Mofo is doing. And in that, sort of what you're taking in terms of, you know, with the people and the culture. Yeah. Look, I... As I said, you know, on a number of times, business really is, isn't my thing, but people and human behaviour is. And if you look at, if you kind of refine what we're trying to do here, it's really simple. Um, and I think too often it's made to be far more complicated than it actually is. I'm not saying it's easy, mm. but it's simple. And it's not saying it's easy to pull off, but I think... We, it can be an elegant distraction to make it more complicated than it actually is. And I keep coming back to, you know, these Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs. I reckon if every company or any person in any HR role or people and culture role or, you know, six customer success, whatever it is, if you, any just working people in general, if you just can meet those fundamental needs as a start, then that's. And, and if you only do that, then that's just, then that is everything yeah. you need to do. And how you do it, obviously, is going to depend on the context, the company, the people, the, the you know the culture. Um, but that's the that's the shit. That's all that matters. And we overcomplicate it. it doesn't need to be complicated. Um, we just need to care enough to do what what's what matters really. I suppose looking back at your story so far. Um and like we spoke about prior to turning on, I mean, your job is really working with people, isn't it? In terms of understanding what, and I'll let you probably pick up, you, you explained it better, but working with working with the CEOs in terms of what the business needs and then translating that to a people person. Is that, does sum that up okay? Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty, it's hard to sort of define because it varies from one day to, you know, to the next. Yeah. Today, for example, um, you know, we're today, today we're sort of working with each of the team leads to help establish... Uh, to help them, uh, uh, and, and, and myself, I'm, I'm one of those team leads, but uh, helping them, uh, helping us all understand our leadership style. 
and then working out a strategy for how we're going to help lead our teams better. So there's a lot of organisational design uh, stuff. There's a lot of learning and development um, and there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's recruitment um, and onboarding and the whole experience people are having while they're here. Uh, but, you know, I think essentially, the, the, if you just look from a real macro perspective, I, I think my role is best defined as taking, it's, it, it's, it's ensuring that we are living and we are true to uh, and that we are, have, a, have integrity with what we do aligned to our company's mission. Now, a mission or a purpose and vision and values, every company has them, but not every company goes all in on committing to working in a way that is in alignment and a true expression of what those Mm. um, values and what that mission is. I take that really personally because if I didn't, I just wouldn't, I couldn't do this work in this company with, with the, with the mission that we have and with the people that we have. So um, our founders believe in it and have created a company um, with that as its foundation. And we, I'd like to think that, and I, and I'm, and I hold myself and, and by extension us as a company um, accountable to making sure that that is the experience everybody else has, an experience that is aligned with those, you know, with that mission and, and values. So I, I think my role is to translate that yeah. um, to the experience people have uh, and, that's, and, and what that looks like from one day to the next is, is different. I think that's what I love about your story, though, because as I start to put from our chat today, put the pieces together, I really hear up until this point, and I'm sure continuing, but it's been on this sort of relentless pursuit to find what are the very fundamentals of why do we do what we do, right? Those sort of truths, those sort of um, uh, constants across personalities that if you can understand that, you can sort of begin to uh, or build everything off of that. You've got the foundation mm-hmm. to build off of. And I love that about your story that it's almost been this sort of relentless self-pursuit. You're trying to solve it, I suppose, for yourself, like you said, but using everything in the external mm-hmm. world to begin to test and to begin to learn. And you've come into this role with a really clear, I'm sure there will be an evolution still, but a very clear understanding of you, what do you love, what are your values, um, and then coupled that with this sort of uh, really strong skill set of the very fundamental things that we're trying to um, that you're trying to create here at Vino Mofo, and then everything else begins to build on top of that. Right? You've you've, you've got such a solid understanding of that and an ability to articulate that. Um, it makes so much more sense of how you're able to start bringing those things together in a way that yeah, hasn't necessarily been done before or in a way that maybe somebody who has more experience but doesn't understand that as well, hasn't been as relentlessly focused on that, maybe doesn't have that fundamental understanding to build such a solid foundation. Yeah, I think it's alignment, right? Yeah. I think it's alignment. And connection is really, you know, connection is a theme, really important kind of theme in, in my life connection to how, how all, everything works together and alignment is so like when things click mm. and you just kind of like you're just, just in the zone you yeah. know and Ken Robinson talks about like the element like finding your element um, and you know everyone's talking about like finding your purpose and you know following your bliss and you know just going all in on the things that you love and doing that I, I, you know I, 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 I believe that and I, and I value that and I, and I trust that and I'm just trying to figure out a way that we can all do that mm. and trying to, in, in some small way at least, um, enable that to, to, to happen. And it's working for me personally mm. in, in, in this role. And I think 
I think you know, there's like workplaces have an have an opportunity and an obligation. The 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 obligation being to provide a place where people can come to do their life's greatest work. Now it seems a bit you know sort of lofty um, and a, a, a bit ambitious, but I think why the fuck not? Yeah. Right. We're adults. We're, we're we get to choose what we do, when we, and how we do it. Why wouldn't we all go to a place where we can do the things that we love the most? In with people who complement the work that we do, who complement the skills that we have by providing other skills that that collectively create something and enable something so much bigger and better and more satisfying than what we could do individually. So I think that's a. I think that's. That's the opportunity as well mm-hmm. for a workplace, but it's but it's the obligation to kind of go well. You know, you we uh, as a as a group of people, um, you know, are, are in this together, and it's my obligation as an employer to to help you um, either find and or, or refine what that thing is that you do really well, um, uh, and, or, and and if not to you know help you do that, to enable you to to do that. It's also the opportunity for a business, right? Yeah. It, the opportunity being, man, imagine if you've got like 100 people all just doing their last greatest work in one place, walking towards, working towards the same um, outcome. Man, that's when kind of magic happens. And I think that, you know, and, and not just... In, in, it's always got to be in service of something greater than the individual or the company itself. And that's, I don't know, I think that's a really utopian way of looking at work. But I, I'd like to think, why not, you know? Well, on that, though, I do want to dig into that because I feel like everything we've talked about has been a big piece of the puzzle, but I feel like it's not everything. And I feel we spoke, obviously, prior to turning the microphone on today about about that. And it to me, it's sort of I didn't want to bring that in yet because I, I want I feel it fits in best here. But let's go back to goal setting mm. for a minute, because I think that fits in not not the goal setting per se, but the views on goal setting. So we, we've talked a bit around that, but. Your where? How do you do goal setting now? Let, let's start there. How how do you do goal setting? Um, I've I've learned how to. Uh, I've learned that I'm not very good at goals. <laughs> goal setting typically, like in, in a sort of you know common understanding or traditional uh, understanding of goal setting. Yeah. You know, and being working as a coach, that's kind of what you do, right? You're like, so what's your ultimate outcome here, and how are we going to? What do you need to be and do and have in order to make that a reality? And I'm going to hold you accountable and off you go. Like that's, but I don't know. Like I think there's an element of that that I can relate to, but I've come to realize pretty recently, not just recently, but I've, over time I've kind of realized that I'm not good at goal setting because I'm not invested in the outcome because yeah. I think the outcome itself is a, like a distraction from what's actually really going on. I think for me personally, like, like what, I've, what I've replaced an outcome with is, I've gone, all right, so let's say I'm working towards outcome X. I then deconstruct that and go, well, how does that, like, make me, like, like why? Yeah. I'm always asking, like, why? I think your fitness example we spoke about earlier is a really good example. All right, so let's use fitness as an example, yeah. right? Uh, let's say I want to lose five kilos. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, uh, uh, starting with that as an outcome, you yeah. could work back and figure out a strategy to do that. i gotta, I got to eat less. i got to get up 6 a.m. and go for go a run. early. Get yeah. up early. No and more wine. Fuck, man. And it, to be honest, any time I've, like, done a, I've set goals. It always feels like a feels like a chore. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't like doing things that I don't really want to do. Uh, and I certainly don't want to miss out on things that I love doing. So I kind of just reverse engineer the outcome and go, all right, so what, is, what, am, I work, what am I doing this for? How would losing five kilos make me feel? I just feel, man, I feel vibrant. I feel healthy. I feel happy. It means I can do this, you know, I'm more comfortable doing things I want to do. Um, and then, and then what works for me at least is to then go, all right, well, how, like what is happening in my life at the moment? What is happening in my, uh, around me or what am I, um, doing or not doing, um, that would elicit that feeling already. And then I just tend to do more of those things. And, uh, in doing so kind of shortcut the, uh, the outcome it's not it's not a way of getting around doing the work it's just a way of really clarifying what it is that's excuse me that's really important that I really value that I'm really doing this for because as someone who's been pretty self-critical and 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 um ah man like hard on myself for a, a long time I don't need another reason to you know beat myself up for failing to do something that I didn't really fucking value in the first place but just because I thought I should do it right so now I've clarified what's important to me. My goals are more intentions of how I want to feel. Um, goal setting is about clarifying and really having a visceral sort of awareness and understanding and, 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 and feeling around what it is that I want and then just doing things that are in align to that, you know, because, you know, I'm not, I don't know, I just don't have this real desire to sort of tick things off my, you know, off, off a list of goals. Um, I just want to, like, you know, I'm a real, I, I feel things and I love feeling things and I'm really into having experiences and that's why I enjoy working in a company that that celebrates and shares wine, you know, and, and food and I get to create those sorts of experiences for people within the company and outside the company, workshops that we host and events that we host, mm-hmm. you know, they're the things that I love to do and I like, because I love to, I don't know, I just love to do things that make me feel good you know and so goal like if a goal for me is really just to do more things that make me feel good yeah you know and 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 in in the past i might have thought well that would just end up with me sitting on the couch just drinking wine and eating ham on you know um but it (laughs) and vanilla slices all day but it doesn't it's not it just doesn't work like that yeah you know because i enjoy running i enjoy being fit and i enjoy exercising i enjoy drinking water as much as i enjoy you know eating no slices and drinking Chardonnay. <laughs> I, look, I, I think this is really important, and I want to get on. I want to get on my soapbox for just one second because this has been a profound understanding in my life as well. I've, I've gone about a slightly different way, but I think we've arrived at the same outcome. And um, again, I very much share a kinship with yourself that I've been searching relentlessly, and that's. Um, for looking, okay, other people seem to be doing well. Gee, maybe if I do what they do, I should be where they be kind of thing, right? And there's a whole problem with that thinking, which there's a whole episode in itself. But going on the idea that I would say, okay, I'm going to do goal setting. And I don't think there's anything wrong with goal setting. Again, I think it's individualistic. But in that, if you're on your 18th version of trying to set some sort of goal setting framework, maybe you need to sit back for a second and try to analyze exactly why you're doing what you're doing. And a profound thing that clicked for me and how I look at it is I read The Code of an Extraordinary Mind, which I've briefly talked about. Have you read that book before? No, I haven't. So fundamentally, he talks about there's two different types of goals. There's an ends goal and there's a means goal 
goal. Mm. And a means goal is typically what we look at goals today. I want to lose five kilos. I want to make a million dollars. I want to get that job. I want to drive that car. I want to go to Rome. Right? That's kind of your means goals. But if you start to think about that, those means, those goals, which we've usually typically just called goals, if we look at them a bit deeper, you can then ask the question to say, well, why do you want to lose five kilos? Why do you want to go to Rome? Why do you want that car? Why do you want that job? Why do you want a million dollars? And it's never actually because because of the actual thing itself it's it's that that gives us something Mm. and so it's a means to an end and an end goal is i think a bit more around what you talk about but it's about you know i want to be surrounded by uh people who i find interesting and support me i can do that whether i'm i'm sitting with two friends or i'm working and building a company of of ten thousand. right i can still have that every day i want to explore and find interesting places that can be as simple as going for a walk around your local park or a different street you've never been on or it can be looking at the catacombs of rome kind of thing and so on and so forth but i think the critical difference in what i love about the way you've talked about it is if you that feeling of of, of the, the whole process right if you need to be Engaged, and you need to feel aligned with the path you're going on in order mm. to achieve that. But more importantly, too, and you said it, and I thought it was so overlooked, is questioning what you're doing as well. Also mm. questioning, well, why did I gain some weight? Mm. Right? Why is this sort of that imbalance? Or what things can I do more of that I love in order to maybe help me get to that goal? So it's not about, again, no wine, no vanilla slice. Yeah. But I think it's about coming back to that equilibrium and that balance, that yeah. happy place. Yeah, I totally relate to the you know the end um, as a, you know as as opposed to the means. Um, what I've what I've given up uh, and are giving up and are letting go of uh, too is just feeling guilty for feeling how you feel uh, and feeling like things should be a, should be other than what they are. Yeah. And that real acceptance of like, man, things are just, I mean, you know, it sounds corny, but just having fucking gratitude and appreciation for what is, uh, is such a shortcut to um, overcoming any sort of depression or procrastination or resentment or um, anything that would typically otherwise kind of bother me. And when I stop, I just go, fuck, life's pretty bloody good. And who am I to... Who am I to think otherwise? Uh, that that's really helped, you know. And, and I think about you know what I want to look back when I'm old. Hopefully, I get a chance to look back on my life and and have some sort of you know um, some sort of pro- time or, or process of of reflecting. And I just want to I just want to look back and be you know proud of the the choices i've made and 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 it relates to values um and and beliefs and my value i value nothing more than lived experience Mm. and so i don't care about having things or achieving things other than the you know achieving the experiences that mean something to me and so it's all and that's different for everyone right i think you know that's why i'm not a business that's why i'm not an entrepreneur that's why i'm not a you know don't have a shit ton of money or lots of things uh, but i do have some pretty incredible um relationships and connections with people um and 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 a really developing sense of um uh, satisfaction with who I am and how I'm doing what I'm doing and that's been the most important that's the most important thing for me just to I, feel I think satisfied I think it's the point though isn't it, it I mean is. if you sat here and said nah Justin I've got I've got five investment properties but I hate my life I'm so unhappy it's but, like well what's the point we, right but you we know? know this right yeah we know that 
That's the worst part, though. We know. We, and this. I don't want. I don't want it to be too late. Yeah. You know, I'm fucking 42 this year. I don't want to, and that's old enough. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> shit. That's old. I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to spend another 10, 15 years to sort of just figure out that you know life. Like what what, what is meaningful and, and and important to me is is the the relationships that I that I have and the experiences that I have. I don't want to wait until it's too late to to do that. It's a it's a, it's such a waste of an incredibly precious. Um, opportunity that we have to, to live and fuck we are privileged and we are so privileged we you know I've, I've got the opportunity to sit here and talk to you about you know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and we, we are so, I'm such a minority so I'm such a minority in, in you know in the grand scheme of things in the world um, and that's a that's a privilege that I have and I you know have taken that for granted in the past and been really selfish and really self-indulgent uh, with that. I don't want to waste it anymore. Um, I just want to make the most of it. What do you and mean I, you're a minority of? What do you mean by that? Oh, man, because I'm, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm a white male living uh, in a Western, yeah. you know, in Australia. Yeah. You know, and I've, you know, I don't have my, my personal security or safety or well-being, you know, to worry about. That's not my primary concern. Um, I get to worry about, you know, whether it's a Chardonnay or a Pinot I'm mm. going to drink this afternoon. And that's, you know, so it's just a good... It's just a good um, reminder for me to to be grateful um, and and appreciate what what I do have. And, yeah, of course, travel and different perspectives help to provide, you know, that, um, uh, to to reinforce that awareness. But, uh, yeah, stepping outside of your, you know, kind of current paradigm is really important to to realise that, um, or has been for me anyway, to realise that, I really don't have a lot to worry about. Yeah. Oh, look, I think I think your gratitude is the antidote to a lot of things. Um, I I've always sort of tried to balance because people will say, "Oh, but all these things are going wrong in my life," kind of thing. And 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 I know even in my own life, it's like that as well too. But if you start to think about the gratefulness of it, it's kind of hard to think that a lot of the times it's first world problems, right? The reason mm. why it's a saying, it's 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 a hashtag first world problem. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make just everything vanish. That doesn't mean the pain goes away, but it certainly helps, I think, to put a lot of perspective and find a lot of balance in those moments as well. And mm. there's certainly, I think, if, if there's any any sort of advice I would try to give out, it is just practic- practicing gratefulness. And it's, And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your thoughts about this, but I think it's something you have to deliberately practice when you start about it. It's easy, I think, even for me now to say it's just about pra- being being grateful, but it's it's at the same time it's easy to go through a day or a week or a month of something and get to the end of it and go, oh, right, I'm listening to this podcast by Dustin and Michael. Gee, I need to practice gratefulness. You're right, everything's good. And then going back to the same thing, but some sort of ritualistic, proactive practice to take time every day to think about that. And there's lots of apps, there's lots of things. Google gratefulness practice, mm. you can find it. But deliberate practice in order to get to the point that mm. it does, I think, become part of the repertoire. Where I get, I mean, I get bummed out by things too. I know I go, oh shit. No. Yeah, and, and I don't want to deval- I don't want to sort of minimize the the like the re- the reality mm. of. Um, just because you know we live in a you know in a in a society where we've got most of our fundamental needs met um, for shelter and safety and you know security and that sort of thing, I don't want to minimise the, the fact that there's you know significant issues that we that we face. But um, it's a choice, man. I, I feel like for me at least, it's a choice. Yeah. The times when I've been unhappy, it's it's a result of the choices I've made. Yeah. And the times that I've felt really good, it's a result of the choices I've made. Uh, and I feel like I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for the experience I'm having. Yeah. Michael, back in, uh, he 
came sprung to mind when you were saying that he's got another quote he got from his friend but the biggest obstacle to a great life is a good life as well so something that's part of the problem when it's bad it's a choice to make it better but when it's good and it can be great that's also a choice yep. and it's a risk you have to take but at the same time the risk of not doing something could be greater than the risk of doing something and i think that was a critical paradigm shift but the other thing too i want to just quickly just keep on time mm-hmm. here i want to i want to ask about and i think it is sort of another piece to this picture and not to make the y2 podcast actually turning into a meditative podcast because that's <laughs> that's where it's been i, I think it's been uh, another tone but it, it's been a recurrent theme for a reason because you you've talked a lot about this feeling that you have and it's some the journey that I've gone on quite a bit with meditation over the last three years. And I think if I, I'm just trying to think of the people listening home who maybe haven't thought about meditative, it can be a bit hard, I think, to relate to the feeling. It's a bit, it, it can be a bit of a hard thing to grasp sometimes. But I think, at least for me, meditation has given me a barometer in order to be able to gauge that correctly, in order to be able to measure the things that are happening in my life and actually measure it against what I think and feel versus what I think I should think and feel i mean is, is that do you think it's a fair statement to say oh, Meditation. yeah meditation has been a weird one for me over the years i've done i've tried lots of different things different processes and practices and stuff and for me it's actually less about the like how i feel having meditated or when i'm meditating but it's about a folk it's relating to what you were saying before it's about um, the value for me is that it's what I'm choose what I'm choosing to focus on. Mm. So if for ten minutes of a, a day I choose to do something that helps me connect to myself or to something greater than myself, um, I think that translates to a better experience. Yeah, and it's not from sitting for fifteen minutes and having that like kind of you know awakening because it doesn't happen i sit there for 15 minutes going shit i'm running late for work or, yeah. I, or, or or i didn't you know do this or that or my mind's right so that's not a really calming experience for me but just it's, it's a commitment i think a lot of the experiences that we have are you know the result of the, as i said before the choices we make and the habits that we create as mm. a result um and i think that yeah so i i personally have been so disconnected and look for a long time i really didn't want to feel how i felt yeah yeah that's why I, you know i drank lots or you know, was self-destructive because I didn't want to feel how I felt, and I wanted to mask that. But I think it's just a for me, meditation or mindfulness or just being aware of how I feel is just about adulting and growing up and taking responsibility for um, for, for for who I am and what I bring to the world. Yeah. Because I want to bring, you know, something that's of value to others. I don't want to be an energy suck. You know, yeah. so meditation and already mindfulness practice, uh, yoga or you know Pilates or Tai Chi, whatever you do, um, I think is, I think it's less about what you do uh, than it is about your intention and the fact that you're actually doing it yeah. in the first place. I think that's imp- that's the most important. Thing. Well, something I've uh, I've I've come to grow upon. This is just more me speaking about my journey. Is that ultimately at the end of the day what we do and what we aspire to do it has an internal barometer right essentially we have things that interest us things that don't interest and we have thoughts values and beliefs about things and that's that's inside of us right 
And I think when we, we try to we throw a whole bunch of stuff against the wall, we try to do all this different stuff where we're having an output and then that outputs and having something back on us. It has a reciprocal relationship that creates a feeling and that makes you go, oh, I want to do more of that mm. or, oh, that really sucked. That mm. really, really sucked. And mindfulness has given me that ability to be able to measure that a lot more where I think mm. I wasn't able to gauge that properly i was kind of going i don't really know how i feel about that or i wasn't able to really understand that intrinsic belief so i think that's when i was following what other people were saying a lot more and and there's a certain wisdom to to listen to what they have to say and there can be some learnings in there but at the same time you still need to go out and practice that and try it and be open and receptive to how you feel about that but then also asking questions like you spoke Mm. about earlier too i think is super critical to go Mm. what am i good at what am i not good at what things do i love and go oh i really like that Mm. okay maybe i should try to go find more of that and Mm. that's been my whole life is just trying to find sort of a a more a more pure source of what makes me happier kind of thing i do a job i go i like that i don't like that where can i find more of that and and man like that what you said about a pure like a more pure um source of of who i am that is the essence of like why I do everything uh, and I think that's that's I think that's my belief that's kind of what we're all here to f- just remember yeah. anyway um, and so oh, man you look at how externalized uh, our lives are or, or, or look at the Im- the influence of external factors are on on our lives and, and on mine certainly the more the more I've kind of become um, you know just more con- more connected to myself the, the, the better human I am yeah. um, and so that yeah that, that pure source is really uh, that really kind of resonates um, with me and I think that everything that I sort of do is a real just uh, is, a, is a search for that or, or, a, or a means of connecting to mm. that um, and I, I, I've sort of struggled a bit whether that's like really selfish or not but I, I, I what I've noticed is that when when others have done that I can I, it, it helps me yeah and when I do that it seems to be of value to others as well so um yeah i think that's a i think that's a a really worthwhile pursuit yeah mindfulness is i think it's certainly been the biggest game changer in my life Mm. and and i should say mindfulness not meditation because Mm. i think meditation is again the process right but the outcome of how can i create more mindfulness um in my life to, to gauge the quality of my life and the, the quality of myself and my thinking and, and to drive that to find more of that and away from the things that you know i can feel in the moment aren't as satisfying and being okay with that again there's certain things certain industries and certain jobs and certain people in certain places i'm just not going to work and that's okay because it doesn't give me satisfaction so considering i have one less day in this life why would i go do that and why not i try to go find more of the things i like yeah i think mindfulness can be you know um I think I don't know if others have this perception too, but it, I've, I've thought of it as, as being a quite a introspective and selfish pursuit. But more recently, I've realised that it's quite the opposite. And I'm more when I'm more when I'm mindful of what I'm thinking or feeling or what I'm bringing to an interaction. The the easier it is mm. for me to actually be present with and for someone else. Yeah. Because most of the time we're just, you know, listening to, we're waiting to respond or we're, make, we're having projections, judgments, interpretations, assumptions about what's going on through just a completely self-referential filter, yeah. right? So when I'm, you know, 
are mindful of whatever judgments I have or whatever, whatever projections are, or, or, or um, uh, you know, sort of assumptions I'm making about somebody, for example, uh, in a conversation or in a social context or a work context, I'm so disconnected from what's actually really going on. Yeah. Being mindful of that yeah. just at least provides the opportunity just to pull back a few layers and take off the, you know, take off the... The, 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 remove the lens of judgment and then see things for actually how they are, yeah, yeah. which then provides an opportunity to really connect with somebody yeah. and see, you know, beyond your, beyond your reaction. And so, yeah, I see there being real, like such value in being mindful in order to truly, truly connect with other people. Yeah. Um, and that's you know in a social work, rom- you know romantic relationship context. Um, I think it's I think it's fascinating. That's you know that's something I'm really really sort of consciously exploring at the moment. Well, it, it's funny because I think um, one of the big areas I I started to really get a barometer of exactly what you said is I used to do recruitment, right? And the whole point of recruitment is you, you you're trying to find somebody who meets some sort of culture and role brief, and I have to speak to ten or fifteen people depending on what it is, and I have to try to figure out who they are, right? And I need to take them not as I think they are because when they get into the role, they're going to be in the context of somebody completely self a completely different lens of whoever's speaking with them. But I need to try to take them as as they are in this sort of pure form. And I began to I began to truly appreciate from not just a, a wooey kind of mindfulness and mental health and, and balance, but from an actual practical application of having a conversation and speaking with somebody, but actually taking them as they are, as not as I think they are, as I perceive them to be. And that was... Um, that was a real game changer in my life to realize that mm. it was it was actually bigger than I thought it was, and it was far deeper than I also thought it was. Yeah, and, and also looking beyond what they are to what they're pre, pre, what they're presenting too. Of you know, that's something I really learned. One of the best lessons I learned from being a teacher is that is to look beyond the behaviour um, of kids in, in that context. But it's never about like what, what how people present is never really what's going yeah. on um now if you're not if, you, if you're not um responsible for you know the your what if i'm not responsible to what i bring to an interaction they're not going to see that in the first place um if i'm too caught up in my experience i'm not going to see yours and i'm not going to be able to see beyond yours yeah. either to and you know that's ultimately what i'm trying to do is connect with people with beyond all the bullshit that we project and you know um upon each other so uh, i think it yeah you know another step to that is you know kind of having the presence mm-hmm. um and the and the awareness and and the compassion uh the empathy and, and the courage to sort of see where somebody else is actually really coming from yeah. as well and don't you fucking love that when don't you feel like just amazing when somebody does that for you yeah oh even selfishly yeah like i think what you said was really important that it's a it's a very selfless thing because you're allowing the other person who's trying to bring themselves to the table that you're allowing them uh, an ability to do that and you're and that's what drives me nuts about people and they say oh you're just trying to be like this it's like no i'm, I'm trying to be exactly like you see i'm not i'm not trying to be manipulative I, I i don't think i'm smart enough to do that like really I, i'm just trying to be me mm. in this context mm. you need to take that as it is mm. um two-way relationship right mm. but mm. um but on that though keeping it on time i feel like we could do we could do a lot more of this yeah I do we're wanna... going deep man we started deep this yeah. is just gone like subterranean it's awesome oh uh, look med- again meditation all this sort of stuff it i mean this is this is what it's all about right i mean 
people need to stop looking at what are the seven steps to being a great HR professional. You need to learn about this structure and that structure or three things to marketing or seven steps to networking. Like it's all, it's all important, but if in terms of the iceberg, it's that 10, 20% above. And that's what everybody focuses on and tries to build a hundred percent off that 20%. But it's all this stuff below that if you can figure that out, just as I'm sitting down with somebody who's the case in point, if you can figure out that the 20%, you can Google it. You can get consultants in. You, you, you can provide the framework in order to figure that shit out later. Yep. But that's the 20%. And you need to figure out the 80%. And, and I mean, this is what it's all about. Mm. But on that, what do you got to do this rapid fire question? All right. Yeah, ready, sure. Ready to go? Yes. So the first question is, is who has been the greatest uh, influence on your life growing up? It could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure. Oh, man. Big question. Um, I, I would have to say, of course, my parents. But somebody who has a um, who has an ongoing, uh, really significant influence on my life was my and was and is my is my nan, um, Edna May. She there's so many ways in which she influences <laughs> me still. She passed away, you know, 12 years ago, um, but a huge influence on on me then um, and now. Awesome, and. Uh just so when Andre and Justin listen, it's, it's Andre and Justin. Yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Yeah. Oh, man, there's a, there's a long list. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, so great. I'm so fucking stoked to have it. I could, I could, we could spend two hours and I could, and I could list, uh, you know, so many people. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly, you know, of course now I'm grateful for the opportunity I have to, to do the work I do, inspired by the people I work with. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. But there's, it's, you know... They're in. They're in. Uh, they're in very good company uh, amongst a, a, a long list. Uh, what uh, What gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Uh, I thought about saying wine, um, which is definitely <laughs> an answer. However, I think running for me. Yeah. Running. Yeah, I run. I like you know most mornings, um, if not every morning. Do you just go for? F- Five kilometers. Yeah, five k's. I just get up, get out of bed, run for five k's. Particular route, or do you just wing? Yeah, I do the same route um, each each day. I live near um, Princess Park in in Carlton. I run around there, which is just it's amazing. Um, I love it because a it it's a routine. I'm not really a very routine person, but it's one thing that kind of keeps me keeps me grounded. And it's just like it's just that's my meditation. Mm, It's a a download. I. Have a, if I if I if I have a question, um, it comes the answer comes to me. Yeah. And if I don't have a question, um, all this insight comes to me when I when I run. Uh, so, in terms of disproportionate, you know, payoff, I, I it's a beautiful, um, really profound way for me to connect, but also just feel good. You know, it feels it's a great way to start the day. Yeah, I feel I feel amazing after having done it. Yeah, I love it. It's one of those things. I think it's um, I was a, got a question coming up shortly around maybe a bit more in this, but if you can get that one that one win on the board, mm. you know, it's mm. uh, doesn't matter if whatever else happens. It's you got that you got that five k, feel yep. good. Yep. Doesn't matter how crappy everything yep. else is. You got that one win on the board, and yep. it's like nah, I'm I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm totally. Sort of, yeah, I, you know, if nothing else happened today, yeah. I've, I've 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 done something. There you go. I've ticked off a goal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And if you remember, can you tell us where you first heard it? There's, uh, there's, there's two. There's two. And there's one that relates to a really, to, to a really early, um, uh, an earlier time. And there's one that's, you know, perhaps a, a bit more recent. Um, the first one is that life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but the moments that take our breath away. 
um, that really meant I, I don't know that that literally took my breath away I, I can't remember when I first read it I would have been sort of in my teens and I'm and it just was one of the f- first things I read that really made sense to me um, because I've always been very um, I don't know very sensitive and uh, uh, not just sensitive in terms of you know uh, emotionally sensitive but I, I kind of like having I like feeling good and I like the experiences that you know um, I like doing things that I enjoyed. So the, my, my greatest memories, my greatest achievements are, you know, um, events and dinner parties or experiences. So, I mean, I, I live for the moments that, you know, take my breath. But that, that's, that's a measure of a good life for me. Um, the other one which, I'd, which I'd, I can't um, not include is from uh, Maya Angelou. And I think that everything she says uh, is just pure, <laughs> pure poetry. Um, that's just been channeled from this place of just magic, and and she's profound. Um, and it's a you know it's a well known quote that um, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people mm. will forget what you did, but um, people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's what matters to me is just the impact that I have on other people's lives, and because I'm just know what it, what it feels like to be um, yeah to be seen uh, or, or to be you know the um, the subject of somebody else's intention in terms of you know um, feeling good, and I, I, it's really it's just a really simple way um, to live life and and prioritise values for me is you know how does how does um, you know how do I how, how do I how do I feel how does you know um, what impact am I having on how somebody else feels Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um- if you could give a 20-minute TED Talk or some other speech on something you're maybe not well-known about, maybe a hobby or interest, what would it be and why? Oh, man. I don't know. I think I kind of have been fascinated recently by um, uh, constructing experiences. And so uh, maybe maybe the art the the um, you know how all these books are coming out now like the subtle art of not giving a fuck and yeah. the art of tidying up and the art of fucking I don't know origami or the, for me it might be like the art of a great dinner party mm. I love I love um, creating experiences for for people that mm. you know that involve food uh, and, and wine so I'd like to talk about that because that's that's really interesting to me hmm. and it would be fun and it'll be a very experiential um ted talk as well there'd be some f- there'd be f- yeah. be some food there'd be some wine so it'd be it'd probably be a lot of fun i reckon i like that we wouldn't be standing on a red carpet talking to a darkened room of people we'd be probably sitting around a table laden with uh with with roast with lamb shoulder and and ham on berico and some beautiful uh pinot and we'd talk about just life I love it. Oh, <laughs> it's probably an unconventional yeah. TED talk, but I'd, you know. Could be a new form of TED talk. Yeah. Maybe we could give TED, you know, people at uh, TED are listening to this. We've got ourselves a new, like, you know, thing that happens in the evening or whatever. It's just a tight, intimate sort of thing where we talk about that sort of stuff. You know what I love about that? It's not somebody telling us their story about their, you know, what they've done or why they think what they're talking about is important. It's just, it's a lived and it's a shared and it's a communal experience yeah. that people will take away their own learnings from it. Um, but it's something we can all share in. Um, that'd be cool. It's it's funny you say that because I I have and 
uh, I continue to put a lot of time and energy into this idea of questions mm. because I've, I've come to fundamentally realize that through that experience that kind of like what you said, that as much as we feel we're unique and we're special, that we all share a very human experience mm. and that we're all really not that different when you boil down to it. We, we think we're different. And I respect that there's different perspectives, but I think if you really boil it down, we're all really talking about the same thing and we're all dealing the same thing. We might have different language in which we articulate. I think that's a challenge. But if you can really sit down and you can be open, I think that's important. You've got to be present to what somebody's saying. You can quickly learn that A, other people are having the same challenges or B, other people have the, the solutions that you've been searching for that whole time. But you need an environment to be open and present and have that chat. Totally. And, and, I'm fascinated by that, and I've been creating um, the environment in which we can sort of explore that. Towards the end of last year, I got a group of people together that I really value, and I really like, and I'm really inspired by um, in in Melbourne. And I wasn't... There was a couple of them that I hadn't actually met in person, but they were really fucking, like, great people um, doing some really cool stuff. Um, Will Dable... Um, and uh, Jason Fox here in Melbourne. A couple of people were just doing some cool shit. And I'm like, I really am interested in you. So I invited them over to my place. We had a little um, get-together in the in, in the laneway near mine, and we drank some wine and we had, had some food. But what I did was I threw a whole heap of really um, interesting questions into a jar. Mm. And they were questions that just kind of cut straight to the like the what I consider to be the important stuff, you know, around like what you know, what do you what do you really care about? What do you what are you most afraid of? What do you desire that you haven't done that you really want to do? And all these sorts of kind of, I, I don't I'm not big for small talk. I really want to kind of talk about the and I I, I, <laughs> I think that's why I'm enjoying this conversation so yeah. much and I appreciate the, the 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 nature of your questions. But yeah, everyone sort of drew drew one of these questions out of the jar and kind of kept it to themselves. And the, the, the idea was that through in throughout the evening, uh, in conversation, they would just raise this question, not to read it out and say, "Hey, this is my question," but just to drop it into conversation. Mm. Um, and as oh, so you arm them with the questions to start to see, yeah, just just to see like yeah. conversations. And it was a um, it was a fucking awesome night. Um, and you know, I, I want to do more, more of those. So um, yeah, I, I think questions are, are you know, the, the right questions lead to some really um, really uh, fascinating conversation. We need to talk more about this off air because. Mm. Um, some very exciting stuff coming up, but I think you'd have a great insight as to this for the for the whole the whole Y two community, but also for the greater world at large. I think that needs to give more of a shit about this. Yeah. But last question, love if you can tell us a little bit about your morning routine. Ah, morning routine. Uh, I get up in the morning. It's a good start. <laughs> That's it. That, you know, what? I'm, I'm done. That's me. Yeah. I'm up. I'm, and I'm and I'm feet on the floor and then back. Yeah, in bed. that's a win. That's yeah. a win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I get up uh, six o'clock. And I, I, I um, reluctantly put my um, shoes on and go for a run. What time uh, do you get up? Six o'clock. On the dot every day? Uh, most days. Most days. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not that regimented routine. So, like weekends, it might be later. But no, six o'clock is a, is a um, yeah, that works for me. And I go for a run, go for a 5K run, come back, have a shower. Um, and then I, then I do a 10-minute meditation What's your meditative practice? Uh, I just set a timer. I use Insight Timer. There's a little gong at the start and a little gong at the finish, and there's just me just 
breathing. Um, so you focusing on your breath? Yeah, I've thing? tried all sorts of different things, and it, you know, guided meditations and headspace really worked with for me for a long time. Um, but I find that, as we we're talking about before, it's not the meditation itself. It's just the mm. just the commitment and routine of just being. And I'm not great at not um, talking or, or, or being alone or just not having anything to do. So I find that just that, just doing nothing for ten minutes, other than just breathing. Isn't, it, it works for me. That's my kind of meditation. Uh, so I do that for 10 minutes, uh, and then I jump in the car. I pick up a, a coffee on my way to work from this great little place right now in the corner from where I live. And my, my, my drive to work takes 20 minutes, and, I'm, and, I, and, and I listen to a... I, I've downloaded a heap of um, YouTube uh, videos, and I've been just yeah. listening to heaps of Abraham Hicks um, at the moment. And, you know, that... Um, Esther and she, you know, she talks a lot about um, it's just the you know the law of attraction and, and and how we create our reality through our um, through our thoughts. So I listen to I listen to that on the way to work, and then when I get to work, normally it's sort of eight thirty nine. Then I'm kind of done, like I'm set up. Mm-hmm. Then I'll turn my, you know, I've got my phone on to listen to the um, to, to the YouTube stuff, but I won't check any social media or emails or do anything before I get to work. Because um, I find like this is such a distraction. I want to set myself up, yeah, for the day. So that's that. That's a pretty typical routine for me. Fantastic, Michael. I've really enjoyed today's chat. Um, I think there's so much more we could drop into. It'll have to be a, a an episode or around two sometime. We'll get another bottle of wine. We'll do it over some over some food. Too. Over some food as well. Yeah. Um, just for everybody listening, where where can they connect with you? Where can they stay up to date with the uh, the story that is Michael? Okay, so um, oh man, Instagram Mikey Ellis is where I spend a, spend a fair bit of time. Obviously, Facebook, um, Twitter Mikey Ellis one three, and uh, and you can follow you know follow the adventures uh, at Vino Mofo as well. Absolutely. Make sure I have all the links in the show notes. Uh, as always, on the uh, Project Y2's uh, website, we'll obviously have all the links and stuff like that. Mikey, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for having me in today. It's been uh, it's been very insightful. It's been wonderful to, I, I think for me, come to a bit of closure and trying to put the pieces together and seeing exactly where and how you've culminated, how you've created such a, um, with the whole team here, created such an amazing organi- corporate culture and um just very excited to see what you do in the future. So thank you again for your time. Dustin, I'd like to acknowledge you um, for the work you put into this conversation. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, the 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 fact that you've um, really taken the time to oh man craft questions and guide this conversation in a way that um, is you know uh, of, of value um, for, for for both of us is is awesome. Um, so thank you for my what pleasure. you're doing. It's been my pleasure.